Well, good morning to you. Glad that you joined us on this Sunday after Christmas, December the 26th. The day after Christmas, in fact. Trust you had a blessed Christmas uh, celebration with family and friends, and certainly we want to remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in every possible and positive way that we can. You know, when we speak about Christmas, there is always talk of Mary for obvious reasons. She was an incredible young woman, probably in her late teens or early 20s when she bore the Lord Jesus, most likely in her late teen years, when the angel of the Lord appeared to her and informed her that God had chosen her to give birth to the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, in this miraculous way, as a virgin, she responded with amazing composure and gracious submission to the will of God. She asked a few honest, sincere questions, followed by total submission to the will of God. She was an absolutely amazing young woman whose life and testimony overflow with submission to the will of God. So Mary has a dominant role in the Christmas story, as she should. The trip to Bethlehem, the required census by the Roman emperor, the stable, the star, the shepherds, uh, the angel choir, the magi, or as we often call them, the wise men, uh, King Herod, all are familiar parts of the Christmas story. But there's one person that seems almost invisible through most of the story, yet he is one of the central characters in the entire circumstance. You're probably guessing who I may be speaking of. That person is Joseph. He's there, of course. Everyone knows it. But he's always pictured in all of the paintings and drawings of Christmas. He's always pictured looking over Mary's shoulder at the baby Jesus in the manger. He's just kind of there. But when we examine Joseph more closely, we, we see a tremendous man of God. The hallmark of Joseph's life was obedience. He made choices for God. He could have turned and walked away from it all. He accepted an enormous assignment from God, being the stepfather to the Son of God. There was a, a great personal cost that Joseph, uh, Joseph paid, yet he accepted his God-given assignment with character and with obedience. And I'd like to view this morning uh, Joseph's obedience from four different perspectives. First of all, he was obedient to God's messenger. He was obedient to God's messenger. We want to read a familiar part of, of the story of, of the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph was faced with an amazing choice, quite a challenging choice. He could endure the public humiliation of Mary's pregnancy. There was no doubt he would be ridiculed. He could have Mary stoned to death, according to the law of Moses, for being unfaithful to him. He, could have, he would have been within his legal rights to demand that if he so chose. He could quietly just divorce her and get her out of his life. Of course, you may not be familiar with uh, Hebrew customs and the Jewish customs of that day, but once once a woman was betrothed, or or we would think of it as engagement, but it's far more far more involved than engagement. It's a very binding relationship, and once a woman was betrothed to her husband, it was as though they were married, even though they had not officially been married yet. And so she was betrothed to Joseph. She was espoused to Joseph, as the old English word might be. It was as good as they were married from the legal standpoint, even though they had not formally been married yet. And so Joseph, if he was going to break that betrothal, he would have to go through formal divorce proceedings. He couldn't just say, sorry, Mary, we're going to have to break it off. You know, I mean, you came up pregnant and la da 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 and this and that. He, he couldn't just do that. He would have to have gone through official divorce proceedings, which is what the scripture was speaking of. He was minded to put her away secretly or privately. The putting away meaning the divorce papers. He was thinking about, should I do that? I don't want to make her a public example. I'm certainly not going to try to humiliate her. I don't know what's going on. This seems very unusual to me. Uh, maybe I should just sort of secretly uh, try and try and find some divorce, a way to divorce her, to to just move along with life or or whatever. He was looking for a way to protect Mary, and yet honor and obey God. So the message from the angel, when the angel appears to him and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to officially be your wife, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit would have been quite an amazing thing. And in a sense, it was good news, bad news. It was, it was good news in the sense that it was a relief to know that Mary had not been unfaithful to him. But on the other side of the coin, who would believe this story? How could he explain to his family and his friends the true nature of Mary's pregnancy? They would think he's crazy. Can you imagine Joseph sitting down with his father and his mother and saying to them, you know, folks, you know that, you know, it's turned up that, that Mary is, is pregnant. But, but I, just, I just want you to know, it's, it's all okay, Dad. God made Mary pregnant. you imagine how that would go over? Or Joseph saying to his friends and saying to his other relatives, it's okay, guys. Yes, Mary's pregnant, but, but it's okay. It, this is something supernatural. Uh, God made Mary pregnant. They're going to look at him like he is falling off the moon someplace. What in the world is wrong with you, Joseph? They would think he was nuts. So Joseph stood at the, at, at the crossroads of, of a really a very hard, challenging choice. Could he protect himself? 
Or could he just obey God regardless of the personal costs? He chose to obey. When the angel came to him and said, Don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so the scripture says, Joseph arose from his sleep and he did what the angel said. He married Mary. He went through with the, with the formal marriage proceedings, but it says he did not touch her sexually until after Jesus' birth. He married her, he lived with her, but he never touched her sexually until after Jesus' birth, many, many, many months later. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was understanding what the angel had told him. He was willing to, at great personal sacrifice, with people thinking he was crazy, or people not understanding what he was doing, Joseph still was obedient to God's messenger. The second thing about Joseph's obedience is that Joseph was obedient to God's government. Let me read you a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. If you've never read Luke 2, if you, I would encourage you to do so, to just see what the Christmas story is all about. If you haven't read it, I trust you did this week. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. What did Joseph do? He was obedient to God's government. This this uh, this uh, decree that goes out from Caesar Augustus is, comes at a very, very challenging time for Joseph. And yet he certainly understood, I know Joseph was a godly man, he was very obedient to the Lord. I'm sure he understood the writings of Solomon when Solomon said, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water he turns it however he wants. Joseph understood uh, that, that the entire Roman Empire was being put in motion by God, really, in order to orchestrate the details for Jesus to be born in the right place to fulfill Bible prophecy. Perhaps Joseph understood some of those prophecies. Perhaps he was familiar with the prophecy in the book of Micah that said the Messiah would be born in, in Bethlehem. He knew that what uh, the baby Mary was carrying had been conceived by the Holy Spirit of God in a supernatural way. Uh, so, so he understood at least some of that. Perhaps he knew some way that, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and since that was where he was from originally, that was where his family was from, that's where he had to go back to fulfill this census-taking, this registry of everyone in the Roman Empire. There are some Bible students who believe that Joseph would have been allowed to make some arrangements to go to Bethlehem a little later due to Mary's pregnancy. It was He was 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and his wife was very pregnant. It would be a hard trip whether they had to travel on foot or on a donkey. It is possible that Mary was able to ride a donkey. It's also possible that they had to walk. 
Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people. They may not have even owned a donkey, may not have been able to even to even borrow one. I know most of the paintings we see and most of the drawings we see always depict Mary riding on a donkey. Now, the scripture does not say how they actually got to Bethlehem, and so we don't know for sure. Uh, perhaps they walked, perhaps they uh, she was able to ride on a donkey part of the way, but either way, just imagine a woman eight, nine months pregnant riding a donkey for 80 miles or walking for 80 miles. Wow, what a trip. But Joseph chose to keep the emperor's decree exactly as it was given. He understood and he recognized that God works through human authorities even when it appears to be a very annoying inconvenience. Joseph was not only obedient to God's messenger, Joseph was obedient to God's government. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And then thirdly, here in Luke chapter 2 as well, he was obedient to God's law. After the Lord Jesus Christ was born, the scripture says in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, and that would be forty days, they brought him to Jerusalem, brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That would be if you were very poor. That's the kind of offering that you could bring. It was the father's responsibility in every Jewish family to see that the requirements of the law were kept in his household. The commands of God were to be honored, and it was the responsibility of the, to, to, of the father to see that it happened that way in his home. So, exactly as the law of God had prescribed, the law of Moses uh, that God, God had given to Moses 1,500 years before Jesus was born, that the Jewish people had been following in large measure for a long, long time, for centuries. They went to the temple to dedicate the Lord Jesus to the Lord, just as the law commanded. Joseph took obedience to God's word very seriously. He was going to do exactly as the law of Moses had commanded. And it was that kind of home that Jesus would grow up in. Jesus was going to grow up in a home with godly parents, with parents who loved the Lord, with parents who were focused on obeying the Lord, whose priority was doing what God commanded them to do. So Joseph, as a man of God, from the very moment God selected him, as well as Mary, to be the parents, earthly parents of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, God incarnate, born of the Virgin, going to be the Son of God to die on the cross for our sins. From the very time that God selected Joseph for that task, Joseph was an obedient, God-fearing man. He was obedient to God's messenger. He was obedient to God's government. He was obedient to God's law. And then fourthly, 
he was obedient to God's warnings. Back in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A well-known prophecy of where the Messiah would be born. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, Go and search for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. Which, of course, was a gigantic lie. And down in verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12, it says, Being divinely warned in a dream, these are the wise men, that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country in another way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it, well, about a year and a half later, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, the famous story of Herod, when he saw he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. He was determined to try to kill the baby Jesus. Down in verse 21 of this chapter, it says, When Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and they came into the land of Israel. Joseph was obedient to God's warnings. He was obedient to God's messenger, he was obedient to God's government, he was obedient to God's law, and he was obedient to God's warnings. Herod was a clever, manipulative, egotistic, vicious, power-hungry ruler, and he had no qualms whatsoever when it came to killing people. You know, in many ways, Herod was, was quite a brilliant uh, politician and a great leader. He built theaters, he built racetracks, <coughs> excuse me, and he built other structures to provide entertainment for the people under his rule. And in 19 BC, he began to reconstruct the temple in Jerusalem. He had rebuilt cities uh, around, around the, the area. He, had, uh, he was really quite a brilliant diplomat and had done some wonderful things for the Jewish people from the standpoint of things he had provided for them. 
But Herod was also cruel and merciless. He was incredibly jealous. He was very suspicious. He was paranoid, absolutely paranoid about his position and his power, which is why he responded the way he did to these wise men and to his, the subsequent actions he took. He was paranoid about his position and his power. His wife, one of his wife, Miriam, uh, had a, a brother named Aristobulus, who was the high priest, and he uh, felt some sort of threat from him, and so he secretly had him drowned, his own brother-in-law after which he provided this magnificent funeral where he pretended to weep. And then not long after that, he had Miriam herself killed. And then her mother, and then her, her mother, and then two of his own sons. Five days before his death, he had a third son executed. It was just it was just incredible, the things that he did. And one of the greatest evidences of his bloodthirstiness and insane cruelty was right before his death, he knew nobody would be sad or mourn his death, and so he gave orders uh, for a bunch of prisoners that he had, in fact, he'd had a number of the most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem arrested, and he had them thrown in jail, and he gave orders that on the day that he died, they were to execute all of those people. That way he would guarantee there would be mourning and sorrow in Jerusalem on the day that he died. What a tremendous, uh, what an incredible barbaric act. And so when we read in the New Testament here that, that he gave this, this uh, order, for all these babies, two years old and younger, a younger, all the male uh, baby boys all around Bethlehem and that surrounding area to all be killed. We think, how could somebody do that? No doubt there would be possibly several hundred of them, certainly dozens and dozens and dozens of them. The soldiers show up and knock at the door and take these little babies out in the street and kill them under the order of Herod. Per, uh, time after time after time after time, to the point they killed maybe, who knows, maybe 50, maybe 100, maybe even more. But when you understand what Herod was like and the kind of man he was, then it certainly is very easy to believe he would do something like that and never bat an eye. And so, it was nothing for him to give this order. And Joseph and Mary, just ordinary working class people, they were, they were, uh, they were out of the loop of government business, no doubt, under the radar, you might say, of great political leaders at the time. Of course, in the days and in the pre-digital days and even in the days of no news reporting, uh, no information, no news as to what was happening, no, no word that they would ever know what was going on with Herod. They had no uh, idea that Jesus was in danger until the angel came to warn them. But remember, as we read the scripture, Joseph didn't even wait for daylight. The angel of the Lord came, uh, appeared to him in a dream and said, Somebody wants to kill your child. Better get up and head for, head for Egypt. It says, When he woke up from that dream, they gathered everything up right in the middle of the night, and they headed out. He didn't wait for daylight. He obeyed immediately, right in the middle of the night. And the same was true a year or so later when it was time for them to come back after Herod was dead. He obeyed immediately. He was obedient to God's warnings. You know, most of our lives are quite routine. 
You know, we don't have too many uh, really dramatic, crazy things going on most of the time. Oh, we have some traumatic things that happen now and then, sorrowful things, uh, loss of life, certain things that come to us in unexpected ways. But still, most of life is very routine. We get up, we have breakfast, we go to work, we do what we need to do for the day, we run errands or whatever it is that has to be done. And, and we do that same thing day after day after day after day. If you're a regular time clock puncher, Monday through Friday, you, you show up for work at a certain time, you clock out at a certain time, you eat lunch at a certain time, you have your weekends to do various things. And, and life really is, 95% of life, maybe 99% of life, is very routine. But once in a while, we are faced with what we like to call defining moments. Life choices that that reveal our heart and our character. See, it's easy to live for God when things are moving along routinely. It's easy in many ways to trust God when, when things are just kind of rolling along as they ordinarily do. But when those times of tragedy strike, or those times of fear strike, or those great upheavals of life hit us, we call those defining moments, that is, what we are in our hearts, what our character is, and what our heart is like before God is going to define how we respond in those situations. What, what keeps us from making Christ-honoring choices in those defining moments? Because sometimes those defining moments come and we don't make Christ-honoring choices. What is it that keeps us from making those choices? Well, there's at least five things. We could make an even longer list. But there are at least at least five things that kind of keep us from, from doing the right things or making the right kinds of choices. The first one is fear. That's probably one of the big ones. Number one, you could guess that one pretty easily. We are afraid of honestly having to face what's inside us. We're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of all sorts of things. But fear will keep us from making the right choices in those defining moments. We're afraid of what others will think of us. We're afraid God won't be there for us. We're afraid that we won't know what to do when the time comes. Fear keeps us from making the right kinds of choices. Regret, secondly. Many people are, are paralyzed by, by choices that we made in the past or failures from the past, and we carry around this, this heavy load of guilt or we tend to hide in shame. Yet the right now forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ can not only liberate us from the past, but they can also welcome us to a fresh start and a new beginning. Regret does not need to paralyze us from making the right choices for God. Fear and regret, sometimes discouragement, number three. Sometimes we just we just get overwhelmed with what's on our plate. We, we feel unable. We think we're doomed to failure. Yet God, right here, right now, God's grace assures us God will never call us to do something without enabling us to do what he's called us to do. When God puts you in a situation... He is going to give you the ability to do what you need to do. Don't let discouragement derail you from making the right choices. Fear, regret, discouragement, denial. 
Jesus' words or Jesus' works assure us that, that no matter what we're facing, we are not alone. We have help that is far beyond our limited personal resources. And right now, we often will, will deny that we really need him. Oh, I, I'm okay. I'm okay, we say. We're inside. Our insides are churning and we're upset. We don't know which way to go. But we tell everybody, we're okay. We're okay. We're just denying that the circumstance is overwhelming us. We often deny our sins. We deny our choices that led us into these circumstances. We deny the reality of our circumstances. We don't want to accept the truth about our circumstances. All that can keep us from making the right choices for the Lord. Fear and regret and discouragement and denial. And then, fifthly, the, the desire for control. Most of us wake up each morning wishing we had more control over our lives. We wish uh, that we could free ourselves from situations that we find to be very difficult. Our lives may seem out of control to us, but they're always under God's control. God knows exactly what's going on, and our desire for control often leads us to make choices that are not pleasing to Him. Joseph could have faced all these things, fear and regret and discouragement and denial and the desire for control, and yet he was obedient. He was obedient to the Lord. He was obedient uh, to God's messengers, to God's government, to God's law, to God's warnings. He did what God wanted him to do. Joseph facing choice after choice after choice. Should I marry her? Should I divorce her? How can I explain this to people? What can I say? What will I do? How will I obey the angel? How can I respond to God's law? What am I going to do to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? On and on and on. All these choices. Very early in his life, as a young man, great challenges before him. And each time, Joseph responded in obedience to God as he faced every challenge. He was a man with godly character. He was a man who had a heart of loyalty to God and obedience to his will. He protected Mary. He protected Jesus. He took very seriously the job of leading his family in the ways of the Lord. You know, God selected Joseph for this assignment just as he had selected Mary. And he is looking today for people who are dedicated to his will. There's a fascinating verse in the book of Ezekiel. It's verse 22 and verse 30. God, God said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap, but I found none. What he meant by standing in the gap was someone does a go-between between the people and God. Someone who would stand for God. Someone who would do the right things. God said, I sought for a man. This is in the days of Ezekiel. And God today, I believe, is looking for men and women who will pray, who will lead, who will stand, who will protect. He is looking for godly men who will stand for their families, who will stand for their children, who will stand for God. Most importantly, if you stand for God, you will stand for your, your wife and your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews. You will do the right things. You will, you will strive to be obedient in every area of life. When God is out looking for people who will stand for him and be obedient, will God see you?
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us as we end the year 2021 and begin the year 2022 in just a few more days. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to you. In many ways, this world is spinning out of control. There are all sorts of things that are way beyond our control. And uh, we can certainly be subject to fear and denial and and discouragement and, and all of these things that Joseph potentially could have faced. He was in some very challenging circumstances. And yet as a man of God, when those defining moments came, he did the right thing. He was obedient to the Lord. Help us, Lord, as we wind up this year and move into the next year to determine in our hearts to be obedient to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this week. I trust you had a wonderful Christmas. And as we move into the new year, we just uh, pray that, uh, uh, that God will continue to guide us and help us to do the right things and to make the right choices and to be obedient to God. Have a wonderful week. Lord willing, we'll see you again next Sunday.